0: If you've spent any time around children, you probably know we all long for approval from others. Whether it be from our earliest moments of looking into our parents' eyes to see their smile or learning to ride a bike and saying, Dad, Mom, look at me. We all want to be seen, to be known, and to be loved and accepted. Did you know that one of the most scary dreams that people have is being in front of a group of people and realizing that you are standing there completely naked, totally exposed. It's terrifying. We think that our lives would be great if we could just convince enough people that we are good, worthy, beautiful. Let's play a game how much do you think the average american woman spends on her appearance annually this includes makeup and moisturizers and anti-aging cream gym memberships haircuts and coloring how much on average is it a thousand seven hundred and fifty six dollars three thousand seven hundred and fifty six dollars or five thousand seven hundred and fifty six dollars well According to a 2019 Groupon survey, the answer is $3,756, $300 a month, or a quarter of a million dollars over a lifetime. Men spend about $50 less per month. And where women tend to spend most of their money on their face, men spend most of their money on gym memberships and diet supplements. And don't worry, during the pandemic, when many of us stayed home in our sweatpants, there was not a drop in what we spent on our appearance. In fact, that industry saw a 5% increase in sales. And even though we know that that's a little bit shallow, let's be honest, this goes way deeper than just our physical appearance. Image management is something we do almost subconsciously in our pursuit of having a great life. We don't just want a great life. We want it to look great to other people. But as we've been learning throughout this video series, you were meant for something better than a great life. You were meant to live a life that is good. And maybe that sounds backwards to you. Isn't good less than great? Well. Here at Community Christian, we believe that Jesus offers us all a rich and satisfying life that has nothing to do with what our culture defines as being great. And this might be different from what you've heard, but Jesus isn't as interested in getting you and me to one day make it to a good place when we die, as he is with getting goodness into us right now. He wants to make you and me into good people, His good people, who can have rich and satisfying, purposeful lives, no matter what our circumstances are. And in this video, we're going to discover how to experience that good life. And no matter who you are or what you believe about God, I hope you'll stay tuned. Because no matter what you think about God, I believe He can't stop thinking about you. He is for you and only has good in mind for your life. And believe it or not, it's better than the great life you might have imagined for yourself. Hi, my name is Heidi, and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere.
1: So for this video, we're gonna look at just one sentence from Jesus and it has to do with appearance and what happens to us when it crosses the line and we start to try to appear to be something we're not. Then it becomes toxic and it does damage to us and to the people around us. Here's the statement of Jesus. It's recorded by one of his followers who saw all of this take place. His name was Matthew. And what Jesus is talking about is a common problem that all of us have in terms of how we pursue being a good person who lives a good life, or should I say how we often pursue looking like a good person living a good life. It's really a sentence of warning. He says, be careful not to perform your good deeds before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the way Jesus might address this to us is to talk to us about approval addiction, to live in slavery to what other people think of you to make your life a performance for them, the disease to please. Their culture was a very religious culture. So Jesus is gonna talk to them about trying to impress people with about how much money you give away or how much you pray. We don't live in that world, but I know what it's like to live for others' opinions of me rather than who I actually am. We all know how we can take something good. It could be grades in school. It could be my work. It could be my body. It could be my family and use that to have other people think, that person's great. We use these good things to gain other people's approval and it feeds our ego. I don't even know how much of a mess I am when I'm doing it. That's the danger. So I want to use approval addiction for what it really is and see Jesus good alternative. I wanna start by looking what the consequences are if we live as an approval addict Uh, What can we expect out of that kind of life? There's this author named Mitch Prinstein, who wrote a book called Popular. He says uh, about the time we get into high school, there are chemical changes going on in our brains, and those chemical changes make popularity the most urgent priority in our life. And those changes, they get stuck in us ever since high school. It's only later we find out that often the most popular kids are the head cheerleader, the captain of the football team, they were miserable. It turns out that being popular doesn't necessarily lead to being happy or the good life.
0: Princeton distinguishes between two kinds of popularity. The first one is status. Status is how you impress other people. If you're rich or beautiful, if you're powerful, if you're famous, in his book, Prinstein describes a high school student named Alexandra Court. She's tall and attractive. She's impeccably dressed and sure of herself, and she is the queen of her inner ring at her school. Every student surveyed listed Alexandra as the most popular girl in school. Now, you can also guess who is the most disliked girl in the school. It's Alexandra Court. She is gossipy and mean. She's selfish and exclusive. But there is another kind of popularity that is pretty different. Princeton uses the word likable to describe it. And it's defined in terms of being other centered or what Jesus called love. Status seekers focus on themselves. Likeable people are focused on you. Status people talk about themselves and what they're doing in their lives. Likeable people, they listen a lot. They're genuinely interested in your life. When you're with a status seeker, you feel less than. You feel not important. When you're with a likeable person, You feel called to be your best, like your life matters to them. It struck me reading through this list of likable qualities that it really lines up with what Jesus describes with the word righteous. That word sounds a little churchy to us, but all it means to us is what Princeton describes as likable, to be trustworthy, to genuinely care for other people, To will their good. Righteousness sounds cliche and stuffy and boring, but when you understand it as caring and loving and kind, that's what we all want, right? But that only happens when we're not seeking the approval of other people, because the problem for people who suffer from approval addiction is that you can never get enough of it. People who study this area say that approval addicts end up engaging in what is called excessive reassurance seeking. They're always checking in with you to find out, what did you think about this? They're apologizing or they're asking, did you like what I just did there? Underneath it all, you feel manipulated because they're really just trying to use you to satisfy their own craving for approval. There is another option though. The alternative to approval addiction is to live for an audience of one. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher of a previous generation, talked about living as though I have an audience of only God. What this recognizes is we are made to seek approval. We can't help ourselves. You look at a baby when they're loved and they're noticed When they are delighted in, they beam. They just radiate joy. We know that that is good. The question isn't, will I seek approval? We all seek approval. The question is, where am I going to seek it? I have an infinite need for approval. That is part of being a human being. And the great news is, God has an infinite supply, but only God has an infinite supply.
1: Jesus said, now, if you wanna become a good person and live the good life, you enter into the kingdom of God, which is most real, and you live before God. I live to please God. I live to be approved by God. I find my security in God's love. I find my identity in the image of God. I find my hope in the strength and the power of God. I live for God's approval, not human approval. In fact, you can't actually live for both human approval and divine approval. You're gonna have to choose. A follower of Jesus named Paul started a church that became quite a mess in a city called Corinth. And he says some really difficult things to them and they don't like him. So he says to them, I I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human. Now. I wanna propose that there's a really important phrase that can lead to having a really good life. Not great, but truly good. And if you struggle, like most of us do with approval addiction, here's the phrase, I don't care. In fact, I want you to just practice saying these words with me right now. You can just look at me right in my face on the screen and say, I don't care. This week when, some fashion expert says, doesn't approve of your clothes, you just say, I don't care. When some expert at interior decorating doesn't approve of your home decor, say, I don't care. When the cool kids don't approve of your music, think to yourself, I don't care. When a law enforcement officer stops you about how fast you're driving, just say, okay, well, don't say that. One. <laughs> Let's be clear. I don't care, it doesn't mean I don't care about you. It means I'm living for an audience of one, and you are not the one. God did not make us to win universal approval. I I can't tell you for sure when I began lying and pretending, but I can tell you for sure that by the time I was 20 years old, I was an expert. I would have said that I didn't really care about what people thought about me, but I knew that everything I presented to everyone was a version of the truth. It was never the full truth. At the same period of time, I became a follower of Jesus. And I tried to be done with this need to have people see me in a certain way. And in some cases, I did pretty good. But I'd lied and pretended for so long that when I was under any amount of pressure, I lied without even really thinking about it. And it all began to change for me a few months before I was gonna marry Becky. For some reason, I had decided to tell Becky that I had been a baseball player and I was pretty good. Now, I had played some ball and I wasn't that good. At least I wasn't better than anybody else I knew. And I I know it's not that big a deal, but I decided I could not start my life with Jesus and this woman that I loved with that lie between us. So one night we were sitting and talking and I said, uh, Becky, I have to tell you something. And she said, okay. And then with a lot of emotion and a lot of shame, I told her the truth that I had lied about being pretty good at baseball. It was really hard for me to do. And when I looked up from having said it, she looked at me and said, okay. (laughs) It was like, it wasn't even worth sharing. Now later I realized she probably already knew I wasn't telling the truth because everything athletically that we had ever done together, she had beaten me like a drum and and she still liked me. But then I finally decided to live in the light and that was freedom for me. Then I became a pastor. And for many years, I had this thought, it was really important that everybody loved me and think I was funny and smart and awesome. they think that you're the greatest pastor ever. And I really thought you're a pastor and if you're a pastor, everybody's gonna like you, right? But of course, everyone's not gonna like you because Life doesn't work that way. And with the help of a really good friend and God, he helped me to just stop trying, to learn that I could never scratch that itch and that my desire to want to be great was keeping me from becoming good, truly good. And here's what I've learned. This is what it's like to live in the presence of Jesus. Jesus likes me. I'm the one in whom he delights. I can live every moment in the reality of the kingdom for an audience of one. Jesus also tells us of the consequences of trying to perform to impress others. Now, again, in Jesus' days, it was often about being religious, but that's not our world. In our world, it might be working hard or being beautiful or youthful or fit or all kinds of things we do to impress others. He says, if if you do, whatever you do to gain the approval of others, you, have no reward from your father in heaven.
0: Now, this reward thing is often confusing for people. Jesus will say, if you do things to be seen, then you have a certain reward, but you won't get one from God. If you do stuff in secret, God will reward you. And Jesus talks a lot about rewards and how God rewards, but it can be confusing. C.S. Lewis, a great thinker of a previous generation, writes about it in a helpful way. He says there are two categories of rewards. There are extrinsic rewards, and there are intrinsic rewards. An extrinsic reward has no natural connection to the activity or relationship. It's kind of like a prize. But an intrinsic reward flows naturally out of what I am doing. To give you an example, if you marry somebody just because they are rich so that you can get their money, that is an extrinsic reward and it does not lead to good things. It may lead to a great life with lots of money and adventure, but it won't lead to the good and satisfying life that you really want. But If you marry them for love and devotion, you get an intrinsic reward. You experience love and because love is me seeking the good of others, then I can only experience that when I give myself away. And in giving myself away, I become good. If you study to get good grades so that your parents will be happy or people will be impressed, That is an extrinsic reward. Don't do that. (laughs) But if you study because you love what you're learning and you love discovering, then that is a reward in itself. That's intrinsic. That's good. If you buy a brand new truck because it has status prestige and will impress other people, that is extrinsic. That's bad. But if you buy it because it has power and beauty and you're going to give it to your pastor because you love him, that's good. Okay, that one was from Ed, not me. But you get the idea. The reward Jesus talks about are important, but they are intrinsically connected to loving God and living life in his kingdom. They are not about the good that happened to you. They are about the good that happens inside of you. They are not about your greatness, but mostly about the new and good person that you're becoming. And often these rewards are described using physical imagery because they are trying to describe something beyond description. For instance, you will hear about music in heaven Not because we are going to be sitting around playing harps, but because music can often express things that are too deep for words. This is life lived in the power and presence of God. C.S. Lewis wrote, There is no need to be worried by facetious
1: people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs.
0: So, let's think about these rewards like grown-ups. Jesus is not saying, if you do good deeds and someone else sees them, God will say, Well, I was going to give you good stuff, but now other people have seen what you did, so I'm going to take that reward back. The reward Jesus is talking about is primarily the person you become. The idea is that if you do these things because they are good, that you aren't doing them so that people will see and think how good you are, but you do them because they are good, and then you will be freed from needing the approval of people, which will allow you to live in a peace that comes from knowing you are loved by God. You'll have the joy of being free to help other humans without the need for them to say thank you. You can be happy even when someone honks unfairly at you, but if you do these things so that others will be impressed then your reward will be that they're impressed with you. And when they are, that's what you wanted. So that's what you got. Done deal. But of course, you will miss the transformation into a truly good person who can experience the good life. But it's not because God is saying, well, I'm gonna take that away from you. You have simply chosen that's what you wanted. That kind of reward is incompatible with this one.
1: So how can we be free of approval addiction? You might think about it like this. We're all made by God with two really basic needs, the needs to be accepted and the need to be deeply known. So I might be getting a lot of acceptance or not very much, or I might be really well known or not very much. You could think of it like this little two by two matrix where I can be experiencing acceptance and approval or not. Now, if I'm getting accepted, if if I'm getting approval, but I'm not actually known, then that might be called living an illusion. Th- this is what Jesus is speaking against when it, he says to people, they're saying, look at me pray, look at me fast, look at me give. But it really wasn't true of who they were. It's easy to become a fake like this if I'm not known or accepted, I live in isolation. And this is just an epidemic in our day. It's really ironic in a day of social media and technology where we could be more connected to people than any time in history, and yet we're experiencing a deep loss of community in our world. The number of people who are living where they're not known and not accepted, it just keeps going up. If I'm known, but I'm not accepted, what that feels like to me is rejection. I'm rejected as a person. And rejection is just so painful, I'll do anything to get out of that. And often what people will do when they experience rejection is they pull back to the other side, to isolation. But what we were made for, it's the top right corner, where we are fully known and fully accepted. When the Bible first talks about human beings, it says, for well, the man and woman, They were both naked. That is, they were fully known, and they were not ashamed. They were fully known, fully accepted. They knew this joy. One of the reasons I love 12-step programs is that they work on this level. The first thing everybody says is, hi, I'm Ed, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. that's a little step in this direction of being known first time somebody says that is just this huge step. People all are set for a ton of rejection. And then what happens is that everyone in the meeting just says, hey Ed, in other words, this is a place where you're gonna be accepted. We're actually gonna kind of cheer you on in your vulnerability. This, that top right corner, it's the quadrant of love. And there's freedom there, there's power there, there's life there kingdom of God, it's there. This is what Jesus wants for all of us. This is where you become a truly good person. Jesus gives us two great practices to help us with this. One of them, it's the practice of secrecy. Actually, the whole first part of Matthew 6 is an invitation to this. Jesus says, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. Now, Jesus isn't giving laws. He invite, he, he's inviting you into a practice that will be helpful to you if you struggle with approval addiction. If you struggle with approval addiction, then do something good, but don't let anybody else know about it. And at first, it sounds terrible. Well, then I, I won't get any reward for it. But Jesus says, as you do that, you'll discover you, you don't need to impress other people in order to live a joyful life you'll actually begin to experience freedom. Because when you do that, your heavenly father who is unseen will see what you do in secret and he'll reward you. And you will become the kind of person who can live and love and joy. So that's the challenge. Do something good for somebody and don't let anybody know. Do something for somebody you don't like and don't even let them know. It's even more fun. Write an anonymous note to encourage somebody. Don't sign it. Do a favor. Give a gift card. Anonymously give something to somebody. Just do good things and don't tell anybody about it. You just run an experiment and find out if what Jesus said is not true. You experience a little freedom and a little strength. This is life in the kingdom. Then the other practice is to get into community where people will offer you acceptance without you having to do anything to earn it. This is why the church exists. You get into a little group where you can experience this kind of love where you're known. The whole reason we have groups as a church is that all of us need that. There are people who go to church and they might come week after week, month after month, year after year, but really they're just more like permanent kind of visitors they never really get known. It's really maybe the greatest danger of online church. You can watch and never join in, but church, it's not something you consume. It's a community where you can love and be loved, where you can serve and be served, where you can know and be known, where we all engage in. We live the good life, the life filled with the goodness of God, where we wanna help each other We wanna help you experience that kind of life. So I wanna encourage you, text the number on the screen with the words, next step. I'll text you back and help you take your next step into our community. We wanna help you experience the love and the life that God has in store for you. That's a life lived in the community. God learning to, how to love everyone always just as Jesus loves us. So simply text next step to the number on the screen right now and I'll be in touch soon, but no matter who you are, or what you've done, I hope you leave knowing that God is for you and you don't have to win His approval or earn His love because of what Jesus has already done for us. He freely gives that to us. All you have to do is accept it and live in that love. And so I hope you leave today knowing that no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking